In today's episode of Indispensable, I talk with Matthew Isellis, founder of iSales Solutions, LLC, and the host of the Sales Stacker podcast. A couple months back, I was invited to be on Matthew's podcast, and we had a great conversation, so I decided we should have Matthew on Indispensable and continue that conversation a little bit further. Matthew, until his move to the Dominican Republic, lived in Baltimore, Maryland, a few miles from where I live and work. While we never met while Matthew was in Maryland, we did meet through LinkedIn and found that we not only have several common connections, but we also have common interests in working with businesses to help them more effectively nurture and talk with their prospects and customers. Join me as Matthew and I talk sales, automation, and how sometimes picking up the phone and having a conversation makes the most sense. Matthew, thanks for joining today. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. And I'd love to start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional background. Colleen, thank you so much for having me on. This is, uh, you know, a, a new experience for me. Usually I'm uh, on the other side of the mic. I'm the one asking the questions on the Sales Stacker podcast. So I'm, I'm really uh, glad and grateful for this opportunity to be interviewed and share my uh, story and experience a little bit more. So you had asked about my uh, personal and, and professional background. Um, and I guess they're really tied together. So I will actually start with the personal and say how I got here and then uh, how that led me into the career path I'm in. So to start out, I uh, currently live in the Dominican Republic and uh, I'm would consider myself somewhat of a young professional. I'm still in my uh, mid-20s right now. And uh, after college, I moved uh, straight to the Dominican Republic because I was already engaged to uh, my lovely wife, Jarina, and um, we have two uh, beautiful young kids. Um, but what that meant is when I was moving to the Dominican Republic right after graduating from uh, the University of South Carolina uh, with uh, degrees in, in business and, and international studies was that uh, even though I'd traveled to the Dominican Republic before, I was landing in a spot where I really didn't have too much of a network, and I really didn't have uh, too much uh, in the in the way of opportunity, local opportunities. Um, I was able to um, work my way or network my way into a call center, which was the first job that I had, and um, there I was, you know, calling every single day, all day. Um, and uh, honestly, locally, the, the pay was good, about $4 an hour, but obviously relatively to um, what we're used to in the United States, it's quite low. And uh, to start a family anywhere, $4, uh, not $4 a day, $4 an hour, um, $4 an hour is, is uh, not much to go on. So I stayed in that position for six months. I learned all that I could. Um, so you know, I learned a lot about uh, sales prospecting, uh, calling and then most importantly uh, I became familiar with sales processes and sales systems uh, from there we you know my wife and I got married right away once I moved down here and from there we um, decided that it would be best that since my wife is a doctor that I would stay at home work from home try to find some job um, to help pay the bills while my wife could 
continued and finished her residency and I'd take care of the baby. So at that point I switched, I um, started doing the same type of cold calling work, but just uh, privately on my own. I used, uh, I found jobs using a couple of different freelancer sites. Uh, the one that I'm most familiar with and really recommend is Upwork. Um, and um, that was a good experience. Again, that was another, I want to say maybe about 10 months that I worked with uh, the guy that I was working with. He was actually a sales consultant, uh, which really opened up my view of um, what a good sales process looks like. And then also uh, understood what my personality traits, my strengths and weaknesses were. Um, and that's what leads me into what I currently do, which is um, I have iSales Solutions, which is a private sales technology um, consultancy. And then on top of that, I also uh, have Sales Stacker, the website and uh, the podcast and also the um, platform that I'm building out with that. And then a couple things that I'm doing locally. But the idea is that um, I was able to come into a new area with no network and really no uh, opportunity and build myself up uh, to a place where now I have clients uh, that I, I consult on sales technology stacks from all over the world. Just last week, I got to uh, work with clients from Spain, from Australia, from Colombia, from uh, California, from all over the world, uh, just because I was able to find an, a, a way to uh, break into the market, create content, and also um, find a skill that I could easily and quickly develop and then use to sell to other people. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And just to let our listeners know, Matthew and I are both in, or originally Matthew's from Baltimore, and I'm in Baltimore. Um, we have many common connections, but we never met in Baltimore. So we met through LinkedIn, and I was on Matthew's podcast a couple of months ago, and one of the first people that reached out to me from his podcast was somebody in Australia. So you really do have a very global network, which is great to see and really does prove the point that you can build a business and be independent of your location. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. And you know, uh, it, it's funny when I, after we sat down and we had the interview, I continued to research and look on your LinkedIn profile and realized that we actually had a lot of common connections, right? Some people that I went to high school with, you were connected with. I think even I was talking to my dad before this because they're here visiting, uh, helping with my newborn baby. And you actually connected to one of my uncles as well. But it's funny that um, oh, through LinkedIn and through the power of technology, you're able to connect and find those, um, you know, random, um, you know, random chance uh, connections with people from right down the street, as well as connect with people internationally. So it, it's really amazing. And I'm really um, excited about the opportunity that technology brings to the, the ability for businesses to get off the ground and grow. Yeah, it's, I always say there's a little bit of serendipity and a whole lot of intentionality, but there is the serendipity where you can build these incredible relationships with people that without these platforms, you would never be able to because you just wouldn't be connected. So I, I definitely agree with you on that. I love it. Tell us, um, tell our listeners about 
a sales stack. What is a sales stack? Of course. So sales stack is something, um, I think maybe the term has been thrown around by a couple of people, especially in the sales technology industry for a, a couple of years. But um, generally, a lot of people aren't too familiar with what a sales stack is. Uh, a sales stack or sales technology stack is the uh, group of sales tools or technologies that you use in order to get your um, your prospect from first contact to a closed sale. So for example, a sales technology stack typically includes a couple main pillars. It includes a CRM system um, that you use uh, as a database in a way to uh, track where people are along your uh, sales pipeline. Typically, it also includes uh, some type of email, email marketing platform, maybe MailChimp, or maybe just simply um, being able to integrate your current uh, email platform, whether that be Outlook or Gmail, with your CRM that allows you then to run different cadences or email automation features. Um, and then we also have things like uh, really important for sales technology stacks are uh, document signing, right? There's a huge drop off of, uh, there's a lot of leads or opportunities that are lost just because a proposal might take too long to, to, um, to get out or it might take too long for the uh, prospect to fill it out. So if you make that process as simple as possible by allowing for digital signatures uh, and being able to integrate that in with the rest of your sales process, that can be big. Another thing is uh, voice over IP. That's something I work a lot with my clients with. Uh, being able to call directly from your computer, text directly from your computer, and have all those uh, messages, all those voice recordings automatically logged into your system uh, is something that can be hugely beneficial and a huge time saver for your team. So when you talk about sales technology stack, it's the group of tools that you want to use. And uh, the most important thing, which is what my platform that I'm trying currently trying to develop, it's not out yet, uh, is working on identifying the tools and integrating them together. Because one thing is to have all the tools, another thing is to have it all in one place and have, as a couple of my uh, previous podcast guests have mentioned, a single source of truth or a single source where you can find all the information you need and complete all the tasks that you need to complete. Right. That's such a great line, a single source of truth. Um, when I led sales teams, we used um, different CRMs. And I remember saying to the sales team, you know, I'm not there in all of these situations. The CRM needs to be the arbiter. Right. So if if there's two salespeople who have created a record in Salesforce, one person has filled it out and put notes and activities and maybe a proposal in there and somebody else hasn't, I'm probably going to consider the person who has filled it out where there is activity, the person that owns really owns and is driving that relationship. So I do think that we have to use these tools to create that moment of truth. I completely agree with you. And that's really where most of the clients that I work with are people who uh, maybe don't have any system set up or they have a very rudimentary system uh, that they're looking to expand. Because the biggest problem that I find is that um, people or, or sales organizations just let too many deals follow through the cracks because they don't have the right processes or systems in place. It's really simple stuff, but the ability to uh, have all the information in one place and uh, clearly define a specific process that your sales team should go through and be able to automate those highly repetitive tasks, that's, it can 
really drive the uh, revenue for that company. And do you, so very often people talk about their marketing stack because that's another stack. Um, and the idea that sales and marketing typically in most companies are pretty siloed. They're not integrated. So do you blend the marketing side in there? I, I feel like you do because you mentioned email, you know, a MailChimp, AWeber. Um, so do you feel like those need to be blended in as well to a sales staff? Um, I, I would say in general, yes, but it all depends on the company, right? But in general, sales and marketing should work together. They need to work together um, in, in order to follow up with leads, to get new leads, and uh, to make sure that there's a, it's a closed loop system, right? Um, but I will say that there are certain companies that are really sales activity focused and others that are really marketing focused. So for example, the CRM that I work mostly with is uh, Pipedrive and that works off of the idea of uh, sales. Uh, it, it's a sales activity um, process, right? Whereas there's some tools like CRMs like HubSpot or Zoho, where it's the opposite, where it really relies heavily on marketing. It relies heavily on ads uh, and leads coming from those ads and automatically being funneled into the CRM and then running a specific uh, drip campaign or email cadence. Um, so I would say in general, yes, you, it's important that you're able to at least some point um, integrate marketing and sales uh, at, you know, and as I had some of my previous guests on the show explain, you should have marketing at the beginning to help you get the leads. You should have marketing in the middle when leads might be starting to drop off. And then at the end, the follow through um, to keep those clients, past clients of yours engaged. And so I've never thought about it, but as you're talking, I'm thinking, wow, this is really kind of interesting. So as you're talking to a client, maybe a client who doesn't have a CRM system, do you find it's helpful to figure out if they're more of a sales organization or a marketing organization before you recommend the CRM? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, this, this just this past week with the uh, the client from Spain, that's exactly what I did, and it's the same process I follow with all my clients. It's the first thing I try to figure out is what is what does your sales marketing, you know, how do you make money, right? Is it mostly through a marketing process or sales? If it's marketing, well, then I would suggest something for small or medium sized businesses like. Um, HubSpot or Zoho. If it's something sales focused, I would recommend something more like Pipedrive. Um, obviously, the biggest player in the CM space is Salesforce, and I think Salesforce is great at doing both of those things. Um, but the thing is that Salesforce can be too big of a system or too complex of a system for a lot of small, medium-sized businesses. They don't need to spend that much money or need to have a system so robust when really what they have is something simple. Now, after we talk about or identify whether they have more of a sales activity-based uh, system that requires a lot of personalized um, manual outreach versus something that is uh, marketing-focused, then the next step is I just ask the clients, what does your, your pipeline or your, the, the stages look like, right? So first, the leads come in. Where do they come in? right? And then after the leads come in, what happens next? And then it's just a series of me for it could be 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes asking the client, 
okay, what next? What next? It's really getting to the bottom of what is the specific steps that have to happen at each stage of the process. Uh, and then at that point, you're able to create a workflow map of really what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, that's a huge takeaway. This is a really important takeaway that, um, and I've worked with lots of different CRMs. I feel like I need to know a little bit about all of them because several of them integrate into Sales Navigator, LinkedIn's product for business development. And you and I talked about that a little bit on your podcast. Um, certainly Zoho does, Pipedrive, um, Microsoft Dynamics, Salesforce, and HubSpot, all of those that you've mentioned do integrate. Um, but I've really never thought about talking to a client about, okay, your CRM should align with how you see yourself more as a sales or marketing company. So that's huge. That's really important. When you're, are you still talking with a lot of clients or prospects who don't even have a system, a sales system in place and mature companies, not just startups? Yeah, no, I mean it. So I work with. Let's see if if I try to work it out. Um, I've worked with clients where it's literally just a one or two man show. You know, just you know the the owner and maybe one or two employees or a VA, up to companies that have you know typically. I work with smaller clients, but we can say that they the the biggest sales organization I've worked with might have about uh, fifteen people in the organize in the sales you know section. Um, and what I've seen is that there's uh, a lot of people who have come in and have certain sales tools set up. And then there's others that are really literally just working with uh, Excel spreadsheet, um, which is not, a you know, can work up to a certain point, nothing against Excel, but there's a, a point where there's too many leads coming in or the process is much more complex than what a Excel spreadsheet can do. Now, uh, one point that I really want to make with that is that there are my experience and the reason why I'm trying to build out the sales stacker platform, right, which will help small and medium sized businesses automate um, or uh, make a lot more efficient the sales tool selection process and integration process is that I find that small and medium sized businesses especially do a lot of guess, guess and check work, right? They try a tool because that's what they, one of their friends use at another company. Um, they poorly implement it. And if it doesn't work out well enough for them, then they just jump to another, another tool, right? Um, so I, what I find mostly is either people don't have any systems set up or the systems that they do have set up, they're not really using to their full capacity. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I would say I'm a little guilty of that too. I'm like, oh, this looks good. And if you're somebody who um, is a little bit, um, do like some shiny objects, it's it's easy to fall into that category, I think. And it's hard. So sometimes I just say to my team, we've got to pick a few and we're going to work just these few and we can't look at anything else. But sometimes it's difficult getting to those few. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's a really good point as well that I was going to bring up is that you talk about a sales stack, right, or a marketing technology stack, whatever stack it is, um, just, just picture that in your mind. What is more of a stable stack that you won't, um, that won't let things fall through the cracks, that has less possibility of errors occurring? 
a stack that's shorter, a stack that's smaller, right? So what you're looking for is having enough tools to cover all of your uh, basic needs and maybe a couple uh, extra tools that can really advance your, your sales process. But you don't want to add too much that your stack becomes unstable and it falls over and crashes and you have leads falling through the cracks. You have emails sent out when they're not supposed to be sent out you know, everything like that. So it's having everything you need, but keeping it simple. Yeah, exactly. And as you, um, I want to just kind of switch now just a little bit and it'll come back and kind of all weave together. But what prompted you to start a podcast about sales stacker or around sales stacker? Yeah, so the idea came from the fact that as I'm building my sales consultancy, sales technology consultancy, um, there are I'm starting to get um, starting to get referral programs set up. So I work with a couple sales technologies, and I wanted to find a way to market those technologies to people, uh, not in an overt way, but offer content, offer helpful information for the audience. And if they feel so obliged, or if they actually really need a tool, they can go onto the website. Uh, use my affiliate link and uh, bring in more, you know, and help me get a referral bonus from that and they get uh, to use the tool. Now, uh, on top of that, the more important thing is that I used to work exclusively with CRMs, right? Um, just pipe drive mainly. Um, and what I realized is that uh, the CRM is not the whole picture. You need to integrate and work with a lot of other tools in the sales process. Um, and also there's thousands upon thousands of sales tools. So I figured, well, the best way for me to learn and also expand my network is to interview people who are experts in specific tools, learn what they're using, right? So I can figure out what tools people are using a lot um, and become familiar with them. It was really an opportunity for me uh, to one, learn about more tools and to expand my network. And then in the process, being able then to expand my own reach and uh, build a, a bigger potential client base. Right, and I want to just clarify something you just said, um, where a lot of people are interviewing the creators of the tools, you're actually interviewing the users of the tools. So people who have taken that tool, put it into their sales stack, and are using it successfully, or maybe they've learned along the way that that's not the right tool. But I want to differentiate. Um, so is that correct? You're interviewing the people who are using the tools. Exactly. And, and that's a really important point. There's already tons of podcasts out there of people just interviewing the same uh, SaaS, as they call them, software as a service founders. Um, so all these app founders they interview them and that's great they provide a lot of great insight uh they're really experts in the field but the thing is that a lot of times you don't need to hear information uh, you know one thing is is hearing how the founders envision and envision the product being used and it's a whole different thing hearing actual use cases from people who are using it every day in their own business right um so i think that it's a lot more valuable for the audience if they can hear what other people are doing and uh, also hear their experience, what works well, what doesn't. Yeah, I, I think that that is a really great way to position not only your podcast, that it really allows you to position your podcast a little bit differently, but it really gives your listeners an opportunity to 
learn as they would be learning. So I think that that's really valuable. And exactly. And one of if I can just add, sure, absolutely. As well, at a point there is not only so that they can learn just as you would be learning the tool, but it's also a way in which the audience has an opportunity to participate, right? It's not just uh, lining up a, um, a, you know, line of experts and they're just kind of talking at you. It's an opportunity where the audience can interact with and even be interviewed for the podcast, podcast themselves, right? They just need to be ordinary people running a business or running a sales organization that can learn from the people who are speaking, but then also they have uh, equal likelihood of being interviewed themselves and sharing their own experience. Right. That's great. I love that. And earlier in, I believe it was in August, you did a podcast called the top five takeaways from episodes one through 10, which was a really fun episode to listen to. And we'll put that in the show notes. And I thought it was um, really insightful how you kind of wove them all together. But as you interview people on your podcast, as I do on mine, I learn a whole lot. Um, what were a couple of, what have you learned in terms of maybe a new tool that you really hadn't, you know, known much about previously or a sales process that really stands out to you? Um, so again, there's just tons of tools and it really, uh, it really depends on what your needs are. But for me, a tool that I was really fascinated with, it could be very helpful for some people. It could be useless for other people. You really have to make that decision for yourself. But it was a tool called Crystal. Crystal is a tool uh, that people use and actually use it with LinkedIn. Uh, and it allows people to understand the personality profile of someone even before reaching out. Um, I'm, a, I'm a believer that um, it is good to be prepared, but not over-prepared for any type of conversation, um, especially if you're doing a lot of um, prospecting and you have to work through a lot of clients or a lot of prospects in one day or in one sitting. It's good just to get that that quick overview from Crystal, or it's for now I think it's Crystal Knows, where you can click on a profile, click the Crystal button, and it says, this is, um, you know, this person has this type of disc profile. This is how you should probably approach them when you talk to them. Um, it, it's just a fascinating tool and it's incredible how accurate it is. Um, apart from that, the other one, uh, and it's actually one that one of my previous podcast hosts uh, is associated with is one called RouterJet. So something that's incredibly important for sales organizations, especially when they have a lot of leads coming in, is response time. Right. And uh, if you can lower that response time by having text notifications going out to people and uh, SMS escalation, as it's called, where if one of the salespeople don't respond in the first couple minutes, then it gets passed on to someone else is really a great way to reduce that response time and uh, capture that lead before they walk out the door. Well, wow, I've not heard about that one. What is it called again? It's called router jet. Oh, router jet, J-E-T, right? Exactly. And I, I do have to say, I've used Crystal in the past, and um, it was kind of crazy, actually. I would be looking at the disk description, and it would prompt, you know, use these words, and I could see myself formulating the conversation um, to reflect those words. And it was crazy accurate, I have to say, and it's 
pulled, um, I think some of it's pulled with how the words that they use and how they write in their emails. Is that correct? It's been a while since I've used it. Yeah, I mean, I use it mostly with uh, LinkedIn, but I mm -hmm. also work with email and everything. I, I have no idea how they do it, but uh, it's pretty impressive and they have a lot of features there. Right, I will. we will definitely put um, that in the show notes as well. And I'm gonna take a look at RouterJet. That's really interesting. And when you, when we first started the conversation, you talked about the person that you worked for who really introduced you to sales systems. And that was probably, I'm guessing maybe a year or two ago. I think lots has changed in the sales world. Um, what do you think about, do you feel as though those sales systems kind of stay, are fluid or they kind of um, stay as the foundation and you just wrap some additional tools around them? Um, no, it's definitely fluid because, I mean, not only are new sales tools being developed every single day and released every single day, but the tools themselves are constantly being updated according to the needs of the users and according to how the entire sales landscape is changing, right? Um, so there's a – someone I interviewed, his name is Pablo, uh, when we talked about uh, I think it was websites and digital transformation, but he brought up a really good point, which is really after – and I mean, this is a mix of both what he said and what I said, but really after five years of experience in the technology industry, if you have more than that, it's really irrelevant because things are constantly being updated, right? So if you just uh, have your business running or, or using a tool based on your knowledge from five years ago, that's not really going to help you nowadays. Now, obviously, if you have those years and years of experience, uh, that might help you have a general understanding of how certain tools should work and more general information about uh, different clients and their sales processes. But in terms of the technology itself, it is so fluid and it changes so rapidly that it's something you constantly have to be on top of. You know, I need to constantly be reading the product update newsletters that I get from all the tools that I'm reading uh, just to make sure that my clients are taking the best advantage of their tools and be able to tell them look, this feature is not available anymore. This is where we can utilize this feature that can help you improve your sales process. There's a lot going on. I, I, I think that that is really very true. You know, the idea that what was successful yesterday it doesn't necessarily preclude that that mean that that's going to you're going to be successful with that moving forward and i just read something i think um, i'm sure it was on linkedin where they said the best way to deal with disruption is just to be a disruptor and how you need to continually reinvent and disrupt your own process and business in order to stay relevant um, you know and, and i we see that on linkedin you know it's just some of these platforms are just noisier. It's harder to break through. So you need to be creative. And that requires continually assessing what's happening and how people are responding and where they're responding. And it sounds like that SMS, that router jet is just really focusing on a different channel. Exactly. And, and which uh, if I can just kind of come in here a little bit real quick, um, that's a point that I was just thinking about earlier today when you talk about um, new strategies, new processes, the fact that technology in the landscape is always changing. Um, even with my own podcast, right, I'm about uh, 20 
23 or 25 episodes into my podcast, I am going to put a cap on it for season one, take a little bit of time to figure out my process, and then before I start season two. Uh, the reason being is that uh, it's great to just be active and to put out content. It's been great for me. I've really expanded my network. I've got a couple leads from it. Um, I've learned a whole heck of a lot around sales and sales technologies that I wasn't even familiar with. Um, but I'm at the point where I realize that it's not, it's it, to get started, it's good just to put out, you know, content and information, but that if you're really looking to grow, isn't good enough, right? So you start with putting out content, but then you need to revisit that content or you need to revisit that technology or whatever it is. Uh, understand what's working, what's not, and uh, revise your process or strategy. So that's the process. That's what I'm currently in right now where I need to figure out how I can make my podcast uh, process and my LinkedIn process more uh, fluid, make sure it works better, and make sure I'm actually capturing leads and generating revenue off of that. Absolutely. I mean, I always say there's an end goal. And I think that was one of the takeaways of from one of your guests um, in the that top five, five takeaways is start with the end in mind. And where do you want to go? Where How do you want to grow your business and work backwards? Um, the content's really important, but the content at some point does need to help drive that sales cycle in some way. So I, I definitely believe that that's a good idea. Sometimes you just have to hit pause. Can can you share with us um, a little bit about your sales process, some of the tools that you use specifically? You've mentioned some that you use for your clients. Are they the same ones you use personally? A lot of them are the same just because I like to use a tool and be from as, as familiar as possible with it um, as I can so that I can then fully implement it for my clients as well. Um, you've heard me mention OA a dozen times, Pipedrive, I'm an expert partner. I absolutely love the tool and that's what I use for my CRM. So apart from that, um, because mostly I'm a one-man show, um, I keep the rest of my personal sales stack pretty lean. You know, I I'm, I'm use LinkedIn, I use it all the time. I mentioned Crystal. Um, I, inter I standardize on uh, Gmail, so I integrate that with my CRM. Um, and let's see, I, I don't know if I use much else other than that, you know, for, I work with a podcast editor and a VA. So we use Slack for communication, which can be very good for internal communications, uh, within organizations. Um, and that's, that's all that's coming to the, to me on the top of my head. <laughs> So on one hand, it's building a sales stack. On the other hand, it's keeping it lean and um, efficient, like you talked about. And, and I loved that visual that you created. A short stack is going to be a lot stronger than uh, a tall stack, which is going to get a little wobbly and wonky sometimes because there's just too many tools. So, exactly. so a, another great takeaway from Matthew is really thinking about using um, a sales stack um, effectively, which often means it's just one or two, three tools. It doesn't have to be a dozen. Yeah, and it depends on the size of the organization. But again, mm -hmm. for me, I'm a one-man show. Um, the one tool that, you know, the one process and, and type of technology that I do need to 
integrate into my sales stack is some type of marketing automation, right? Um, again, pulling it together so that I'm getting um, a, a lot more traction from the podcast and stuff like that. So that's something I'm looking to automate, maybe using something like MailChimp. Uh, but in general, if you're a one or two man show, you have a pretty simple sales process, you don't need more than two or three tools, right? Now, if you are a larger organization, you are part of a sales team or you manage a sales team, then that's, yes, where you might need a couple more tools. But between everything, really, even a, a medium-sized organization with 10 to 50 sales employees really shouldn't be spending more than, say, uh, you know, maybe time on six or seven tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking with somebody yesterday, and they said that their team did a pilot, and um, they have 12,000 employees, so pretty big enterprise-sized company, um, 12,000 employees globally. They ran a pilot with about 300 employees and the pilot failed miserably um, because it really needed to be all in, right? They, they couldn't really test and get the value out of the tool because it was such a small group of people. And so it kind of, everybody kind of walked away from the pilot feeling um, or thinking that the tool failed. And I'm not so sure that the tool failed. I think that the tool wasn't set up properly to provide the optimum opportunity for success for the for that company and that team. And so sometimes yeah. I don't think it's the tool. I think it's the strategy, the pilot, how it's implemented, the process or not that affects and, that outcome. And to go off of that a little bit, uh, there's a couple kind of terms and, and thoughts that I have here. One, whenever you're trying to implement a new technology, you have to think about change management, right? And that's something that a couple of my podcast guests have mentioned in the past that you need to understand that it's technology, but almost all the time it's technology interacting with humans. So you have to understand how's the best best way to implement the tool and over how long of a period are you implementing it, as you said, just to a portion of the organization or the whole organization. Uh, so that's one thing and tied into that is the idea of adoption. If a tool, if a organization does not properly adopt the tool by doing the uh, necessary training or um, fully, fully committing to that tool, then it's going to fail, as you said. Um, and then the last thing, just talking about, you know, to uh, kind of put one last point on the idea of uh, a small or large sales stack. Um, it's the idea of complexity, right? The more complex something is, the more like more fragile it becomes. Yeah, I think that that's a great way. Love the visuals because I think it really helps people consider um, how they should approach this because there's lots of small mid-sized companies that have not implemented the tools that you are talking about. They're a little afraid of them. So I'm hoping that our conversation um, gives them some new ways to think about implementing, keeping it simple. However, adopting these tools because they can make a huge difference in a salesperson's life and therefore the life of the business. And um, there's no turning back. I think we need to make sure that salespeople are um, as empowered with the right kinds of tools as possible. And um, so this 
conversation has been really, really great and interesting. And I want to just end with one question. So as someone who's living um, in a very different business culture is my guess, um, how do you see business reacting or taking place differently um, in the Dominican Republic than where you were when you were in the States? Um, you know, I think that it's interesting that in the Dominican Republic, and I assume it's about the same in all of Latin America, the uh, emergence of technology and the ability to work online, work from anywhere, is having a huge impact on the local economies, right? So um, I, like I said, I worked what would be considered a decent out of college uh, first job at the call center, making $4 an hour. But you know, immediately once I started working on my own and working online with a client in the United States, I was able to bump that to $15 an hour, which again, out of college, that's not great. But considering where I was, that was great. That was really, really good for me. Um, and from there, I've been able, my hourly rate, I've been able to 10x, right? So it's incredible the amount of opportunities that are available uh, because of access to the internet. It really uh, democratizes the talent selection process. It doesn't matter where you are uh, located in the world. It just matters uh, about the skills that you can have. Uh, and the reason why I mentioned this is that, for example, in the Dominican Republic, uh, and this is a very, again, a topic I'm very passionate about because I'm trying to um, foment or, or, or to create and to strengthen uh, a community of entrepreneurs, of freelancers, and uh, small startup businesses. Uh, in the Dominican Republic, I'll be opening up a co-working uh, center soon in, uh, in, in the city of Santiago, is um, you're seeing a lot of people being able to connect to the global marketplace and be able to earn a lot of money. So there's a tension between the local economy, people trying to find, the employers trying to find enough uh, local work at the rate that they're willing to pay and employees that have the opportunity to either work for local companies that do get local health insurance and other benefits, which is good, or to connect to the international economy. You're seeing that uh, very much so, for example, with developers. Developers are in super high demand all over the world and they're able to charge a really good rate compared to the local uh, you know, going rate. Uh, and it's really creating an uh, interesting situation all over Latin America. And I think it's important for CEOs and business owners and recruiters and everybody to really think about this um, with unemployment as low as it is in the States, 3.5 was the last number that I heard. Um, people have to be creative. Not every job can be um, done well remotely, but there sure are a whole lot of them. And I think we need to consider um, how we can engage a larger workforce who will do great work um, and very eager to work and learn and contribute to a business wherever it might be. So I think that's a great way for us to end the podcast. I really thank you, Matthew. I think that's um, really important. And congratulations on the co-working space. That sounds awesome. And I'll be keeping an eye on that. I think, think you're doing a lot of great things down in your 
local area as well as um, throughout the world. So congratulations on setting up your business in this way. Thank you, Colleen. I really enjoyed this conversation and I thought it went very smoothly. I got a ton out of the conversation as well and hope your audience does too. Great. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening today. Discovering how to create a business regardless of where you are physically located can be done. Matthew proves that point. Using technology to streamline is always my goal. Not always attained, but sought out for sure. He made me realize the importance of talking about change management. I think I need to bring that point up more often with clients. Think about how you and your business affect change. Are you talking about change management? Are your prospects and clients hearing how you talk about change management? One of the most important takeaways from our conversation is thinking through the sales system that's best for you and your business. A good process that works for someone else may not work for you. If you do have a workable process, what's next? How can you improve upon it? This is important. I see a lot of people trying to automate, and I try to slow people down as they think about that because it can really go awry very quickly. Just today, I received probably three or four messages, both in my inbox and in my LinkedIn inbox. And if those were authentic messages that had been handled one-to-one, I would not have received them. And I know those people and it sounds, and they should, and they know what I do. So these are not cold, but these are people who know me that if that wasn't automated, I would have not been receiving that. So be careful about the automation. Please head over to our website, interoadvisory.com and learn more about the work we do. You'll find all of our indispensable episodes there along with our membership site inside. You need to better maximize your LinkedIn presence and networking ability. Inside can help you. If you need a little bit more assistance, some handholding, some profile development, just send me a note at Colleen at interoadvisory.com. You can always find us on your favorite podcasting platform, including Buzzsprout, Apple, and Spotify. Have a story to share? Let me know. Please connect with me on LinkedIn, share your feedback, and give us a shout or a shout out. Until our next episode of Indispensable, have a memorable and meaningful week.